episode of Thick and Thin Hoops, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nithin. What's good, Nithin? What's up, dude? Who who thought we would have the type of November basketball we've seen this season? But we have one thing and one thing only to credit, the in-season tournament, a roaring success in year one. Um, we talked about it last week and some of the modifications and feedback early, but now that we're through group stage... It's been a lot of fun, and we have a really great quarterfinal setup, I think. It culminated in just an amazing final night of basketball with the ticker, the March Madness-style ticker, yeah. all the games <laughs> happening simultaneously, the point differential just throwing everyone, crazy. just confusing everyone because not everyone understands that for a two-team tiebreaker, it's head-to-head, three teams, point differential, so... There were so many different things happening, and I think it all culminated in that Warriors-Kings game, which also happened to be just a great game to watch. So yeah, man, I think it's a success, and the, this was just the group stage. We're finally getting to the meat of the tourney, which is the knockout round. Yeah, I mean, like Boston, for example, right? Everyone has made the comment that they should all play together on the last night so that you don't know who needs what, and I think that's fair, right? Like That's probably what they'll do next season. Boston goes in absolutely shellax I and mean, they're they're fouling Andre Drummond up 30 to put him at the line to try to score more points which is amazing um and everyone look everyone getting butthurt about it get out of here like <laughs> this is what like nobody can be happy about anything basically is where we've landed as a society like you're always upset you don't the, the guys don't try hard enough you're upset you're like oh who cares about the 500k they're not going to go for it then they start going for it they're like why are they being so you know, poor sports and like, why don't they play with more sportsmanship? It's like, guys, what do you want out of this game? Because right now, at least from a competitive standpoint, you couldn't ask for more, I think, across the board from basically every team. I mean, you brought up the Kings game. The Kings actually were going to get in as long as they lost by fewer than 12. But they still went for it because it still has like A, importance as a regular season game. B, it's like a pseudo emerging rival with the Warriors. And see that the crowd was going like crazy, like it was a college basketball uh, atmosphere kind of thing in there. So I think all of these things are exactly what the league wanted, um, you know. But but at the end of the day, like this was always going to be a result of how hard the players went. And they're going, you know, close to playoff level intensity in some of these games. Yeah, it's uh, like I always said, the. There was no downside to doing this. There was only upside. And I think the league has realized pretty good upside for the first iteration of this. Um, A lot of kinks to work out, as we discussed last time. But I I just also like the way it shook out, right? If you look at the eight teams that made it, you have Milwaukee, Boston in the East, which are your traditional contenders. New York, which is your, you know, pretty good middle of the middle playoff team. And then you have Indiana, kind of your upstart, you know, hungry. And similarly in the West, you have your two big contenders, the Lakers and Suns, the Kings, a middling playoff team, and the Pelicans, I wouldn't call an upstart, but last year they were pretty much uh, a wild card team, right? For No, playing team, sorry. Yeah. So yeah, I, I actually like the fact that it's a little balanced. So if it was too much contenders – it's not as exciting because you don't have any of these teams that need more luster and shine. But if it was all just random teams, no one would take it seriously. So I actually think it worked out perfectly with this mix that they have. 
Yeah, it's the right mix. I mean, obviously, you wish a guy like Jokic was in there. Maybe Luca, who in a single elimination tournament, you you would count on a guy like Luca to go absolutely ballistic. But I think it has everything. Like, if you rank the teams in terms of like watchability slash star power slash like big market, some version of that, we'd get pretty close to this list. Um, you have the old guard with the the um, you know with Durant and with LeBron in there you have the like current superstars with like the Giannis's of the world jason tatum's kind of like like who's next sort of thing and then you have the young guns with zion with tyrese halliburton with darren fox and so you you have a mixture and then you got the knicks in there which is great you know the Bucks celtics look like they may face off you're gonna get durant lebron in the quarterfinals which everybody is keyed in on and you know they've already played twice this year but both were without booker and so um i mean this is going to be this is going to be much must watch TV like all you know the remaining seven games or however there are is is all I'm all in like I'm so fucking excited and I'm sure they're going to make Vegas look really cool and like give it that final four kind of uh, again the NCAA kind of feel where it's the back to back and like all the stars are in the building it's going to be great I hope so that that's the interesting thing it's like when how often do we get to see these neutral court games you see it in the mm-hmm. All Star but outside of All Star game. There's no situation in which we see a neutral court game except for preseason, right? Yeah, and the All-Stars trash. And preseason and the All-Stars trash. Yeah. So this will actually be a competitive game on a neutral court. I want to know how many guys actually come out to Vegas. The problem is I think there are normal games that resume right after it during the weekend. Yeah. Right? So yeah. it's not like guys can all fly in and, and attend this. But Right, right. Um, That's true. Definitely yeah. you'll see some stars. You'll see, It'll have a little bit of a... Because it's Vegas, it'll have a little bit of an extra flair to it for sure. And one of the things that I think I got confused by, maybe others did too, is that they didn't have any games between the 2nd and the 11th at some point. And so I thought that they were giving the whole league a week off. But all it was doing was just waiting to see who made the quarter so they could plan the other games accordingly, right? This is what we talked about where they had 80 of the 82 games scheduled and they were going to leave two remaining based on the results of the in-season tournament. So now... The way it works is any team that makes the quarters or the semis will have 82 games, and the two teams that make the finals will actually play a, an 83rd game this season that I think will not count for the standings. So all in all, they did a pretty good job making sure that there wasn't any extra basketball from this. Yep. The only thing um, I don't know what they're going to do is how do they manage the home and away splits? Because yeah, I don't if know. you – like let's say um, – two teams lose and they're both away. Now they play each other. One of them has to be away again. And so you're yeah. actually going to have 40 home games and 42 away. I know it's not that big of a deal, but it feels kind of weird to me that that would happen. Yeah. They may have to figure out how to tweak that somehow. I'm sure there's uh, you know, these calendar guys, man, they got the, especially with today's a large language models, man, they're, they're, this shit is easy for them at this point. It used to be you had to write this by hand and go through. <laughs> I know, we know. <laughs> the 1960s, they couldn't run the in-season tournament. Um, one thing about the point differential, so I don't know what you use to find out scores. I use Yahoo Sports app. Call me old school. Call me dated, whatever. They need to fix the way in which the tournament. So they did add the tournament as a separate tab in the standings, right, which I appreciated. But what they didn't do is just show straight point differential. They showed points for and points against on an average basis, just like they do in normal standings. 
And so you're like, okay, the Suns 120, 112, that means eight times four games. So their point differential is 32, I guess. <laughs> like they, they need to figure out a way to make that a lot easier to understand, especially if they're only going to play four games. This stuff has like too many permutations and combinations. Yeah. Like, you know, it was like the Heat Bucks was coming down to the wire and based on who won by how much that was going to make the Celtics maybe play the Knicks. But if they won by, if the Heat Bucks won, then it was going to have to make them play the like. It was just all over the place. It was very hard to know what you were rooting for. It is hard to track. Um, the apps are behind. I use the score, and that mm-hmm. also that had nothing really. So it, it's a little hard to track. You got to have like a your web browser opened up um, with NBA.com or something. And but one thing I think the telecast has done a better job. I think they've caught on, and and with that Warriors Kings game, everyone knew that they needed to close it to eleven. Like that that eleven number was crystal clear but it was also easier because that was the last game of the night right i think it's harder when you have multiple things happening at once and outcomes that could happen um but yeah man i love the point different like going back to the point differential like what made the warriors kings game so interesting is look we were down 22 yep 24 24 at a certain point i was like we're down 13 because i just want to get to the 11 point deficit and to me that's a win we're already going to lose the game and at a certain point, the Warriors, right, you know, when it gets down to 12, 10, 8, they're not just playing to protect that lead. They're gunning. They're gunning because they want to increase it. Yep. And in some ways, that can hurt you because you're not playing to just win. And I'm not saying that's what happened with the Warriors, but it's such a fascinating kind of situation you get into where it's like, do I, how do you play these games when you need a win, but point differential matters. And so how do you straddle the line between both? Yeah, it is pretty fascinating. And also the other thing about point differential is these guys have never played that way. Like no organized basketball has really ever taken point differential into account. And so this is a totally unique style for them. Um, I could see them doing things eventually, like they'll probably add like an Elam ending component, all this other stuff in the tournament. (laughs) But like, at the end of the day, like the point differential piece is easy to understand. The only my only gripe with it is because there's so few games, I felt I feel like point differential matters a little too much because the records are so basically like overlap, right? To me, yep. you add a fifth or a sixth game, and then point differential does matter, but it's a fewer number of teams that have the same records. Like yeah. right now, it's like a bunch of three and one teams, just you know, Minnesota doesn't go go in because whatever, they'd lose out in that point differential because the Lakers beat somebody by 50 or the Suns beat somebody by 30 or whatever it was, you know? So I just feel like there's different mechanisms to make it matter, but not as much as it does. I know they're going to fix all this stuff or at least take into account these different ideas. They just wanted to get this thing out there on year one and they'll tweak. (laughs) If there's one thing the NBA does, it tweaks. So we know that. (laughs) Yeah, it it mattered a little too much. Uh, I agree. But hopefully they'll come up with a way. And there's a lot of ways they can get around it. Um, But... If you beat a bad team by 40 instead of 30, it's essentially the same win, but it gives you that 10-point advantage, which, you know, the Lakers ended up with, what, plus, there was an insane point differential, plus 74. Yeah, I mean, they smoked, like, Portland and Utah and so (laughs) guys. But the Kings were plus 30, but they're, like, they beat OKC, Minnesota, Golden State. So I don't know. I don't know what you do about that. Your group is your group, but yeah, hopefully your they fix that. Your group and like they use last year's standings, but like someone like Minnesota, sorry, uh, Memphis, for example, has fallen off, or 
or Utah is worse than they were last year. And so that you'll never really get around that. I'm not, I, I don't really care if they make the divisions, the, the groups or not. I think it's fine as is, but I would just mix it up all together and go East and West. Like I said, and yep. I'm just, while we're talking, I'm looking up, um, what are the odds for, for the title? Cause I'm just curious. Uh, okay. So we got the Celtics are the favorite at plus 310. Milwaukee is plus 350. Sacramento is the highest ranked team coming out of the West. They're plus 490. Lakers are plus 550. Suns plus 600. Pelicans 1200. Pacers 14 to 1. Knicks 17 to 1. The, the Kings are the best odds coming out of the West? Plus 490, yeah. Because I guess their their logic is they're going to be favored versus the Pelicans at home, and the yeah. Suns and Lakers is a toss up. Yeah, I wouldn't even say we'd be favored. We shouldn't be favored against the Pelicans. They just well, they stomped us. <laughs> yeah, twice. But I mean, in a row. I don't know. Like if Ingram and Zion both are going to play, like who knows with that team? Like whoever rolls out there is always a question mark. Yeah. Of, yeah, of yeah. these, who would you take? In the West, just in general, those odds. I'd take the Pelicans by far. 12 to 1. Yeah, I'd take it for sure. Because, look, Lakers Suns, one of them, obviously they play each other. They'll knock. It's just hard getting past that round. So I wouldn't want to bet on any one of those teams. I think the Pelicans, uh, you know, they, you know, in this in season tournament, they beat Dallas, Denver. Um, They've had some good wins on the season. I'll take them. Zion's been, you know, playing better. He he went 100% from the field. What last night? Yeah, um, I take them, and, and in the East, I would take, I take Boston. It'd Boston be Boston, is, New Orleans. Boston's probably the best bet. However, they do have to go on the road to to Indiana, and then we'll probably have to go on the road to. Oh, I guess the semis will be in Vegas. So that doesn't matter, but not that on the road in Indiana when they give up points <laughs> like a track meet is that big of a deal, especially for Boston. But uh, but yeah, that's one consideration. I kind of like, I don't know, man. I kind of like Phoenix at six, plus 600. Of course, you like Durant. Yes. This is Durant's <laughs> chance to shine. With the way Booker's been playing, I mean, I know Bradley Beal is um, as useful to that team as Dan Marley at this point, but I don't know. Booker and Durant are the, maybe the best one-two in the league. No, I like the Suns, too. I just I just don't like their chance. Yeah, they got to I mean, play in L.A. They got to play in L.A., which is yeah, problem. yeah. So I'd rather take New Orleans because I think New Orleans will spank us. And then, you know, if you're playing against the Suns, New Orleans will also be at home. So there's a lot of good and fun matchups that can come out of this, which is which is uh, enjoyable. All right, so you know they're actually going to do an MVP. That I actually didn't know that. Yeah, it's probably is it na- some... who's it named after? <laughs> Adam Silver. Adam Silver, the Adam Silver MVP. Um, okay, so let's get into the broader league as a whole. Why don't we start with one of the most surprising teams in the league right now, and that is the Orlando Magic. They're currently second in the East at 13-5. and five, Absolutely spanked the Wizards last night. Um, the Magic have not finished top 10 in offensive rating in like 10 in like 15 years, which is <laughs> nuts, right? They're currently sitting at 17th, so that streak doesn't look like it's going to end this year, but they're second in defense, have been absolutely obliterating people on that end of late, especially. 
They have a really strange team when you just think about the fact that there aren't any really good guards on their team. Jalen Suggs has been solid defensively, great energy guy, but you know, not shooting the ball well. Fultz has been injured. Cole Anthony is Cole Anthony, you know, and after that, it's like all their strength is in their forwards. So 13 and five, it feels very um, sustainable. Uh, so it's not like one of those starts where you expect them to wither away. Um, like we actually have seen from Orlando in the years past. So, where, where are you on the Magic and, and their ability to be a real player in the East? And when I say real player, I mean sustain top six, so avoid the play-in um, come playoff time. Is that is that something you expect or think that it can get done? And and what are you most impressed with and where you think they got to focus more? I think uh, I think they can get it done. I actually think they'll be top six. I, they are going to slip, but what anchors them for me is, like you said, they're second or third in defensive rating. Um, so it's not smoke and mirrors. I think the previous starts have been fueled by hot offense. This Orlando team is playing really well on the defensive end. And I think Franz Wagner is, is I think the last, I forgot how many games, he's averaging 26. He has been really good all season long, but he's yeah. been getting better as the season has progressed. And you're getting defensive contributions from Suggs. Uh, Cole Anthony, has, he's always been a, just kind of a role player, but I feel like he's taking an even larger role of the team this year. He's our third scorer. Um, I the talent is just such a funny roster, and when you watch them, they're. I mean, I've only seen a little bit of the magic, but they don't. Nothing jumps out to you, right? Uh, yeah. As good as Franz and Paolo, Paolo hasn't taken. I actually think people might have expected Paolo to take a bigger leap this year, and he, he hasn't really done that. He's still been very good. Mm-hmm. So I'm just, dude, Jamal Mosley, I, I think no one even talks about him as a coach. Uh, I think he's an early consideration for coach of the year because this team plays really well together. They play tough, and they're very good at um, kind of eking out these really close games too. Uh, granted, their competition has not been that great. That's why I want to pump the brakes a little bit. But the, in the East, you're going to play Chicago four times a year. You're going to play Charlotte, Detroit. So, like, wh- what does it matter? I yeah, think they, they can use the 22nd ranked strength of schedule to date, right? So they clearly yeah. need to play some better teams. Actually, the couple games I caught them in more in depth was when they went out and played the Lakers and Clippers and lost both of those games. And you could kind of see their skill. However, that was really early in the season when Palo was abysmal. He was shooting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, he started terribly. Percentages. I was like, what the fuck? Because everybody's been talking about Team USA and the fact that half, most of the team has been trash this season. Um, except for Jalen Brunson and Halliburton and Ant, basically. Everyone else has had down years, and he looked like to be one of those guys, and I don't know. But now he's resurrected a bit. To your point, Franz has been awesome. Still not shooting the ball well, only 31% from three, but just doing everything else. And the thing is, both of those guys are getting to the line a lot. Um, mm-hmm. you know. And so that's, that's the big thing, right? Like You think about like six free throw attempts combined over almost 11 free throw attempts for the two of them, and you know, the other thing is, like, they're first in the league in defensive rebounding by a wide margin, and they don't even have – they haven't even had, uh, you know, uh, Wendell Carter. He's missed 13 of the 18 games, as has Fultz. And so, Mo Wagner has stepped up and been really good. I don't know if you've watched much of this Jonathan Isaac resurrection, but <laughs> he, he only play. I mean, he doesn't play that much, right? He plays, uh, what is it, 14 minutes a game. But when he's in, his defensive metrics are absolutely off the charts. Um, and and most importantly, like he can go really hard in that time because he's not playing, you know, the whole game, but like 
his defensive win shares are up. His box plus minus leads the team, and he he's just awesome. Um, actually, one of the in season tournament games that was pretty critical at the time, but they came back from like twenty down to beat Boston. Mm-hmm. He scrapped Jason Tatum uh, in several possessions down the stretch, and you just look at that that capability. And he's never been a great offensive player, and that's that's their real heel is that they have a lot of good defensive players without you know getting much on the offensive end. So I'm really curious to see like how patient they stay with this team. I think they will stay patient because they're still so damn young. I mean, pretty much every guy who plays meaningful minutes for them is 25 or under. Um, And so really, you know, do you let Paolo and Franz kind of grow into those roles or do you go make a splash move like getting a Zach Levine, who's not going to cost that much, but could give him some shooting, some ball handling to complement, you know, more of that rugged style they play up front. Yeah, I'm always in the camp of if they're, if you're doing this well, see how far you can get to under truly understand your limitations. Don't don't change too many variables at once with Zach Levine and others. So I, I think they play out the season. The funny thing is they drafted Anthony Black n- number six, right? That was, I think even at the time was considered a bit of a reach. Mm-hmm. And to, if you think like there were so many good players who went later in the draft, you had Bilal going to um, your Washington Wizards. We had uh, Jarris Walker, Kaysan Wallace, like Derek Lively. All these guys are playing meaningful minutes. Black has not done much. Granted, you know, I don't think it's not like he gets that much run. But to think they could have added another one of those pieces and this roster would look even more appealing. Yeah, and they took Jed Howard at 11, right? And he's barely played. And, and yeah, he's been, I don't even know how good he's going to be. So There's several guys they could have taken after him, including a Kaysan Wallace. Um, or I guess Kaysan Wallace went 10, but including like a Derek yeah. Lively they could have grabbed or other other dudes, uh, Grady Dick, whoever it is. Um, yeah, I mean, look, there's a style that they like. They've liked this like long athletic wing forever, right? From the Aaron Gordon days to Jonathan Isaacs, or even like before that with Fran Bosquez back in like the, you know, <laughs> early 2010s. And so I just think that Orlando is setting itself up well, but I'm curious because their ceiling still feels a little limited with how poor they are offensively. But, and to your point, like they haven't, you know, when you're playing the Wizards, you can get away with that. But when you're playing some of these better teams, it's going to be hard to go bucket for bucket. Like you look at a team like Milwaukee, that'll be a fun matchup for me for Orlando because they can really put a lot of length to bother Dame and even to bother Giannis. But, Milwaukee's been scorched earth offensively, so can they keep up going basket for basket down the stretch? Yeah, it's still a little bit of smoke and mirrors. I mean, you're you're still expecting Cole Anthony, Suggs, Mo Wagner. They're playing big, crucial, you know, minutes on this roster, and those are Jags in the NBA. So I think beyond Franz and Paolo, this roster will go through a lot of. I don't think they found like a core four or five necessarily, but. I think it's just promising that with Franz and Paolo, you already have a high floor, such a high floor, right? A 13 yeah, I mean, those guys and, project to be all-star kind of perennially, right? Yeah. And, and you know, with Franz Wagner, I was not high on him coming out of the draft. I, I based on what him. I saw in the tournament, he disappeared. The tournament. Yeah. We both hated him. And, like, yeah. I mean, I'm biased because UCLA waxed uh, – not waxed, but, like, they made him life really hard for Michigan in that game. But he did not look like he had it in some of those big games. He didn't look to, he looked like a kind of a tertiary player. And I'm so surprised at just how aggressive he's been in the league in his both. Yeah, I mean, seasons. look, like 
I'm not a big college basketball guy, as you know, but as we were watching Michigan play both in the Big Ten tournament as well as in the NCAA tournament, there was like, you know, Franz Wagner going to be a top 10 pick this year. I was like, top 10 pick in what league? Like, what is going on? Like, and I, I knew Mo Wagner, right? Who's like the scrub on the Wizards at the time. So I was like, what's happening? Like, this guy's going to be a top 10 pick next, like, next year in the NBA draft. And he's been awesome. He's pretty much been awesome since day one, um, really, yep. in terms of like what you projected of him. He goes and wins, you know, FIBA World Cup with Germany, which, as you know, uh, reigns supreme in my book in terms of accomplishments. And he was freaking amazing for them. Uh, I know he got hurt in a couple games, but him and Dennis Schroeder really carried them. And he just he just has this confidence about him, right? Like, he's got a very smooth game. He's big. Both him and Paolo are just huge humans, and therefore they can really assert themselves down low and in the mid-range. Um and with Wendell back, that's just such a huge front court. It's really hard to do much against them. And because those guys are good athletes, they don't give up a lot defensively, if anything, with smaller wings because they can get around and move and shift feet. And they're also 6'10", 6'11". Oh, man. They are uh, – yeah, they're fun to watch, man. They're um, they're good. I, you know, the other funny thing I wanted to ask you about is did you see the Cole Anthony Jalen Suggs recreation of the Wade and yes, LeBron yes, dunk? I did. I Dude, mean, the, that the play was cool because it was actually an alley oop, which a lot of people don't know the LeBron Wade play was not an alley oop. It was not an alley oop, yeah. However, <laughs> the image, because Suggs is kind of turning away, it's not quite as iconic. I mean, Aside I mean, yeah, but what did you think was going to be a perfect it, recreation? It, yeah, aside from the characters involved. <laughs> yeah, it's Cole Anthony and Jalen Suggs. Could go um, down to history. Um, okay, well, it's been fun watching the Magic. I always like when new teams pop up. This, you know, kind of like the Kings last year or like even what Minnesota's doing this year. Like anytime you see like new blood, to your yep. point, like there's this old guard that won't fucking go away. And they yeah. still now are still like the best players in the league. Um, the Durant, Stephs, LeBrons of the world. But like getting a chance to watch the maturation of, of the young teams is always fun. I mean, OKC is kind of personifying that to the max after they wiped the floor with the Lakers tonight and, and look really, <laughs> really good. Um, yep. So anyway, that's Orlando. Next up, who do we have? If you want to go out east. Oh, sorry, west. Yeah. Uh, we want to talk Minnesota. We haven't talked Minnesota yet, have we? Yeah, let's talk Minnesota. This is a uh, man. They've been fun. Um, they are fourteen and four. Um, after beating the Jazz tonight without Anthony Edwards, who took a really scary fall. I don't know if you saw, but he yeah probably going to be okay, hip. I guess, because he mm-hmm. was doubtful today. So the fact that he's kind of day to day, I think, is a good thing. Um. They are the actual number one defensive team in the league. And Rudy Gobert has completely resurrected himself after a disaster season last year. Which, by the way, they still made the playoffs and still gave Denver a decent run. So it wasn't like it was, they went like 35 and 47, which is, I think, given the magnitude of the Gobert trade, is almost what it felt like because yep. they were the eighth seed and had to go through the play-in. So they're another team which very similar um, – elements to Orlando they're 18th in offense first in defense um you know doing this a little differently they have uh you know Anthony Edwards and Carl Anthony Towns who project to be you know top tier offensive stars but it's still a little mucky on that end but defensively man those guys you have Jaden McDaniels who's a freak 
You obviously have Gobert off the bench, Nas Reed, Kyle Anderson, Nikhil Alexander-Walker, a ton of length up and down the roster. Mike Conley has been, you know, incredible steadying force for them. Just the night and day uh, life of going from D'Angelo Russell to Mike Conley running your offense is really something special. And, you know, Minnesota is a team that took a lot of shit last year from everyone, including us, on the way that they approached this. And as of now, you're looking at this team like, why can't they, you know, why can't they be one of the final four? Right. Like, why is this not going to work in the playoffs when you have a tier one star like Ant alongside this level of defense? So what do you think about them? They are. Uh, I mean, I think what's most impressive is just the the towns and Gobert pairing can work. And defensively, they can still be a really good team. And offensively, they're what you said, 18th. Yep. Um, and I think the fact that Ant has really taken that next level in his game and Cat doesn't have to. Cat on offense is still kind of a roller coaster sometimes, but I think his bad habits, his um, they're, they're better off when he's not the focal point on offense. And I think this offense with Ant at front and then defensively, he's not costing them. They're still strong defensively with Gobert in the middle. And I mean, we've always talked about the roster having just all the right pieces, whether it's Nas Reed, the Kyle Anderson and, um, Jaden McDaniels, right? So mm-hmm. I it's a really good team, really good defensively, really long, and they're gonna pose a lot of problems. Like you think about the West, right? What is the the route they have to go? They have to beat Denver, they have to beat LA, they have to beat Phoenix. And I think the question is gonna be: does Gobert can he stay on the court in some of these games? When some of these teams go small, when um you know, maybe with Jokic, maybe it's not as much of a problem, but with some of these other with with Lakers with the Suns we've seen this happen in the playoffs where Gobert looks like the the Utah Jazz number one in defense they're a number one seed but in the playoffs he gets outmatched so I am still reserving judgment until we see it in the postseason because we've seen this narrative with Gobert before he's a three-time defensive player of the year and the question is going to be can this style of play be sustained in the playoffs so that'll be interesting to see well, I think, um, you know, Carl Anthony Towns also, similar to Paolo, had really, really bad start to the season. His shooting was uh, in the tank. And now you look up, he's 50, 40, 90, literally, fraction yep. of a point below that. So if he can stay there, I mean, he's taken 15 shots a game, which for him would be among the lowest total in his career. But it's the right number for a guy who clearly projects as the second banana, but can take over when needed, especially because Ant, as good as Ant is, I still find that he settles for too many bad long twos he struggles to kind of play efficiently when his shot's not falling at times and therefore as much as he is turned into a number one and he's you know on many nights just breathtaking he i can't count on him the way you can count on some of the other starts it actually reminds me a lot of jason tatum early in his career who would put up like eye popping numbers but then jason tatum just took a ton of bad shots and was like late game wreck in 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 some situations Granted, we still see a little bit of that from him, but he's gotten so much better at like getting to the rim, getting to the line, taking good threes, moving the ball. And so I think that's the next iteration for Ant Um, because right now it just feels like through sheer force of will, he gets to his numbers, but it's not always the most, you know, efficient way to play. And I think that's what makes it even more tantalizing to me is because I think he can take his game another level because of that. And 
right now, um, I mean, literally the last five games outside of this last game against OKC where he got um, was it against OKC he got injured? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Which they still won, by the way. He went 34, 40, 36, 39. So this he's yeah he's carrying special. them in some of these games. They lost yeah. that game to Sacramento. But other than that, they beat Philly. They beat New York. They're winning a lot of tough games. And it's I mean, look, I feel I'm happy for Wolves fans because they had to put up with a lot of shit last year with with yeah. it's the same as the Kings, right? Like. All you hear about is how you lose the trade, you lose the trade, you lose the trade, and like that that still gets this talked about. This one was much worse than the Halliburton. This one was much worse, but all but you know, like for for Wolves fans, if this ends up being a team in the Western Conference Finals, that's worth it. Like yeah. I think they'll they'll say that's worth it day in day out. So we actually talked about it if you remember before the season last year. I think we were both pretty negative on the deal, just given how much they gave up, and I still think it was way too much, right? But two things we said were one if Anthony Edwards takes the leap to superstardom, this can make sense because he's going to keep them good. And those picks are going to be in the twenties and, you know, it's not great, but you know, you can work around that. And then two, the other thing we talked about is a team like Minnesota, who's had virtually no success in their entire franchise history, save for 2004 with Kevin Garnett has a much lower threshold for what basketball success looks like than the Lakers or the Celtics or the Knicks, not the Knicks, actually, sorry, the, you know, some of these other teams, the Warriors. And so, one deep run to the playoffs or two deep runs to the playoffs would be a successful return for this trade. Um, yeah. Now, I don't know if that's going to be this year or whenever, or if it's going to happen at all, but like you have to realize their threshold is much lower than some other franchises in the league. So while that's true, right? I hate it when people put that qualifier on it because it's like, Oh yeah, the wolves are happy because they're perennially really bad. So they'll take any success. I mean, that is true. But I would also argue if the Lakers, let's say take Lakers for example, if they had the same run of missing postseasons, or they, I mean, they did for not they the did, same yeah. length, but they had a long right. Yeah, they gave up the farm for Anthony Davis, um, right. but you don't care because they actually won a title out of it. And I think if they were in the same situation as Minnesota, and you get Gobert and you end up going to the Western Conference Finals after not making it, even sniffing it for 15 years before that, no one's gonna care. I mean, the um, difference is Davis, right, as the player. I mean, and LeBron, have, like, I don't know. It's a little different because Davis, the player, and Gobert, the player, are two different things, especially into 2019 when the Davis trade happened. He was still considered like a top five player in the league. Fair. And and Rudy Gobert is already past his prime, arguably, right? Nor was his prime ever in that dimension, right? Like, to your point, his prime was getting the number one seed and then getting put in a turnstile by Stephen Curry in the playoffs. And, and that's that's the worry. Now, those Utah teams are not as talented, but you had Donovan Mitchell, a dynamite mm-hmm. guard. You had, like, they were a good team. And so, yeah, Minnesota, I think they're here to stay. They're going to be a top four team. Are they a serious yeah. contender? I don't know yet. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think look, there's only so many teams that can be serious contenders, right? And, like, Minnesota looks great. So does OKC, right? Yeah, Phoenix and that, they're not a real running. contender either. Phoenix is starting to rally into shape. Denver's just got Jamal Murray back, and they're going to start rolling a little bit, right? Like, you still have the Lakers lurking. You still have the Kings and Pelicans, and when they're on, they're on. Like, there's so many teams in the West that are really, really talented, whether or not their records show it at this moment or not, that getting to round two is going to be a bloodbath, much less getting to round three. The only team you could feel confident to say, like, I think this is going to be a Western Conference Finals team to me at least, is the Nuggets. Yeah. Outside of that, like, 
if Phoenix goes out and plays, let's say they play um, the Pelicans round one and Zion, they just have nobody to guard Zion. I could easily see the Pelicans beating the Suns in a seven game series, yeah. right? Like that, that, that's very real path to that. Yep. Or the Kings, like who's going to guard Fox on the Suns? They have nobody with the foot speed and with that defensive, like, especially with Beal healthy where they start Beal and um, Booker in the backcourt. And so, you know, you're going to put Josh Akogi. I mean, it's just like, there's just yeah. a lot of different matchups that are going to dictate how the playoffs go. I think yeah. the Nuggets are matchup proof. And beyond that, I wouldn't trust anybody else really. Well, I'd agree with that. Um, speaking of Donovan Mitchell, by the way, like, and we don't need to get into Cavs, but they have some concerns. Yeah. I know they've not all been healthy the whole season, but they won 51 games last year. And now they just lost to Portland tonight. So they're actually, where are they? They're 10 and 9 now. 10 and 9. They've looked 10 and 9, if you know what I mean. Just very. They've, up and they've down. had some. They've, yeah, they've looked very mediocre. And, and right now, 10 and 9 of the West, they're an 8 seed. So this is not, you know. Yeah. And this, this was is a team that's expected streams. to be top four. Right, Struess and George Niang. I mean, and Struess has been stars. good. Yeah, it's not even good. that Struess hasn't been good. I think the problem has been Mobley. I, I just, and I don't know, like Donovan Mitchell, there's so many rumblings about Donovan Mitchell wanting out. Not wanting out, but looking elsewhere, right? Yeah. I'm not sure. I mean, Maybe there's a lot of truth to that because this team does not look right. And even a guy like Darius Garland is so talented. And he made an all-star team. He's had big games, but he just looks really marginalized when, when he's playing next to Mitchell. Yeah. Like Mitchell almost looks like has to have his own team with the way he dominates the ball and how many shots he takes. I mean, he's taken 21 damn shots a game, which is a lot. Yeah. Um, okay. Cool. Next up, let's talk about who are we talking about uh, back in the East uh, the Pacers. Got to show some love to the Pacers. Number one offense of all time, efficiency rating-wise. 28th in defense. That's only going to get worse after giving up 142 points to the, to the Miami Heat tonight. Um, this is an, this is not even an – like, what they're doing is almost not basketball. Like, it looks like <laughs> the 80s Nuggets. Like, I don't understand. Like, all their stats need to be, like, divided by two and – whatever because they're just going bonkers and they play at this absolute breakneck speed they're first in pace uh they're first in effective field goal percentage um and then they're just on the other end they're just as bad they're 20th in you know turnover rate 20th in effective field goal percentage of the defense 26th in defensive rebounding the 29th in most free throws given up free throw rate so like it is really a complete yin and yang situation for this team. They're very, very fun to watch. I mean, we'll see them versus Boston in the in the uh, in season tournament quarters Which will next be week. Amazing, yeah, yeah. Um, and they gave up 155 points to Boston earlier this season. Uh, I know no Halliburton in that game, but man, this is a really unique squad. It's a really fun squad. Um, I'm sure Rick Carlisle's sort of rotating between having fun and having a heart attack watching these guys, but. What do you make of the their squad so far? Uh, I mean, it's been impressive, man. And Tyrese Halliburton, look, I you know I'm negative about him, not because I don't think he's good, because it's out of def, you know a defensive position. I get it, but he, he's a stud. He, he's a one man offense, man. Today, like you know, we talked about it, forty four and 12, 44 and ten. 
Um, I think what's most impressive about their offense is the contributions they get across the board. They don't have that many scores. Buddy Heald, right, who's arguably their next best score. I know Miles Turner averages more, but Buddy Heald's arguably their next best offensive player. Buddy Heald is a sixth man on the Kings, or was yeah, a sixth man when he left the trade. Kings. You know, Benedict Matherin, he, he's he been solid. He hasn't taken the leap that sometimes you might expect in the second year, right? Yeah. Um, you could say he's kind of been underwhelming. Obi Toppin and Bruce Bound were great pickups, but they're not lighting the world on fire. So this is just a team that's all – it's it's like the – you know, everyone makes the Nash-Halliburton comparisons, but it's really apt because if you remember the 05 – not in the 04-05 Suns, the 05-06 Suns, where, yeah, you had Marion and Stoudemire, but you're getting contributions offensively from the Raja Bells of the world. You 10 points here, you're getting 10 points there. And it's all because of that offensive system around Nash and his ability to create. And Tyrese is special. He's he's just an absolutely special player that they can generate offense out of anyone in that lineup. Um, so, yeah, man, I, it's not going to work in the postseason, but this is it's been incredible to watch and, and seeing Halliburton kind of just putting up 26 a night and countless assists. Yeah. I mean, he's almost like a cross between Steve Nash and Trey young, right? Because he still has an, a scoring capability that I don't think night to night that I don't think Nash really got to unless he was forced. And so he can score like he's averaging 26 a game. Like you said, he had 41 a night. His shooting splits, dude, this is out of control. He's shooting 52% from the field on 17 field goals a game, including shooting 58% on twos. He's 46% on threes on eight attempts a game, um, which is Steph Curry-type marks. And then, of course, 92% from the line. So that combined with the 12 assists to just two and a half turnovers, like, it's silly to play it's at this laughable, speed, no. to play at this speed with this many possessions, you know, and not turn the ball over ever. Um, it's just bizarre. And they're, you know, fourth in the NBA in turnover percentage offensively. So to your point, there's not a lot of offensive talent on this team. So for them to do this is entirely predicated on him and on Carlisle's system and they don't need to be great defensively yet. Like they're still a really, really young team. That's just finding their way. There's ways to get better overall. Hopefully you do get some more improvement from Matherin. And I don't know, maybe this is a candidate for a trade at some point to go get a little bit more defensive talent, whether that's like an OG and an OB type or, you know, some like an Alex Caruso type or who knows. Right. And so there's an opportunity, but I don't think they need to do anything yet. They just need to have fun, go 42 and 40, and get involved in the play-in tournament and see what happens. Yeah, I mean, this is this is the the rise. It's all fun. There's no expectations. And I think the play-in tournament's a perfect for a team like them to really showcase themselves national TV. I mean, every NBA hoop head knows Halliburton's been amazing. Yeah. But they're not a team on national TV that often. So, um. They'll get their shine. But yeah, I mean, it's, I, I think the fact, the funny thing is Halliburton doesn't have a one-on-one offensive game where it's not that great. Doesn't have an, a bag of moves, but because of that breakneck pace they play at and he's able to get his right. And, and he get good looks at three, get to the rim. And because he's always a threat to pass, 
it it's it works. Twenty six points a game is is no joke, right? Yeah. And um, you're right. Nash never looked for his offense the same way Halliburton can and does. Yeah. But even then, it's like this guy. I feel like if he his offensive game still has so much potential to improve because he's doing all this without really a wide variety of kind of one on one and shot creation. Right. Yeah, I mean, it, it almost reminds me, and they, this team probably has more individual talent just with Halliburton specifically, but it almost reminds me of like the post-Mellow Nuggets who played really fast. They did make a couple playoffs. They were fun. They were never serious, but they had they were really fun to watch. You're like talking about Ty, like, Lawson. Like Ty Lawson, Wilson Chandler. Yeah, like. exactly. And that, that squad kind of reminds me of this, where they have a lot of shooting, a lot of different playmakers role players mostly just turning it up in that uh you know in that fast offense the george carl offense and so i just think that that kind of reminds me of this team oh all right moving on let's talk about let's finish up every podcast that covers the nba has done the post-mortem on the warriors this week after the king's loss after a couple of their losses after the draymond suspension I'm not there yet because Steph Curry is still playing like a, you know, borderline, I don't want to say MVP candidate because he has slowed down a little bit, but at least like an all NBA level player, right? So he's still in that top 10, top whatever you want to put him at either. But this team around him sucks. <laughs> I just, I don't know how else to put it. And either guys like Clay and Wiggins just improve and start playing like how we think they could play, or this is permanent sort of, you know, deterioration from older guys. Well, Wiggins, not so much, but from clay and from Draymond and just the lack of talent they've added over the years has finally caught up. So where, where are you on the Warriors? I mean, they beat the Clippers tonight. So they're nine and 10, um, 14th on offense, 17th on defense, 18th in net rating. So very much as average as they look. Yeah, I'm actually not sounding the panic button as much in the Warriors as everyone else is. I mean, this team is clearly broken, has problems. I think I I still think it's a politics thing. I think there's it's a look. Kuminga and Moody, I still don't think have been given the the space and the breathing room to really flourish on that team. And Kuminga has shown signs of promise. Moody has been really great. Like Moody against the Warriors. He had like 11 straight points or a couple straight threes. Kerr pulls him inexplicably after he he just made shot after shot. And the reason was he wanted to get the vets out there. Clay needs to get his minutes. And I think they're, they're in such a weird spot of managing Draymond's ego, balancing Clay's feelings and his minutes. Uh, Chris Paul has been good for them, but you also need to, that's another ego you need to massage and make sure he gets his playing time. And I think this is all happening at the expense of Moody, Kaminga, uh, Pajemski's has been good in his limited kind of appearances. Um, that That's really what's holding this team back. I actually think they have enough pieces to be good, but it's the insistent on playing Clay, the Draymond antics, that's really holding them back. And staff can only carry them night in, night out so much. And... I do think, yeah, this year they're they're going to be a lower-end team. They are in danger of missing the playoffs. But I think a lot of it has been done by Steve Kerr and the way they've managed this roster. 
And I guess my issue with that is based on what we've seen from Steve Kerr, why would we assume that changes? Right? Like, why are we going to assume suddenly he's willing to put Clay on the bench? Clay, who, you know, is the proud former star. He's starting to act up. He's starting to take bad shots. He looks like he doesn't know what's going on out there. He really looks like me when I play basketball now, when I'm like, <laughs> I think I can do something with my body and I can't anymore. <laughs> like, that's what it feels like watching him. And I guess I just don't know. Like, would they really bench him? in the fourth quarter of a game versus the Kings that he absolutely believes he needs to be out there for, you know? Yeah. So I agree. I'm not saying that they're going to turn it around. I think that they have serious problems. My point is I don't blame it on the roster construction necessarily. I blame it on the way they're managing the roster. Um, Yeah. I mean, but you're still counting on like Chris Paul, who's already hurt Gary Payton, who gets hurt all the time. He's already hurt. You know, Draymond, they don't seem to care at all what he does. Like, there's literally <laughs> yeah, no... there's no accountability. It is so... It's like, it, the chokehold move, like... I mean, I'm not trying to be some, like, sad sap, like, oh, never, you know, getting our, con- you know, conflicts. Like, we have to be good sports. Like, forget that. But that is just so beyond uncalled for and confusing and, and just, like, childish. And it's like, dude, you're, what... 12 year veteran who's won four titles and is going to the hall of fame. And you're trying to choke out random dudes. You have a grudge against for no reason. Like I get that this is how you play and you play right up to that line. And that's how you motivate yourself. If you're Draymond and all that, but like, at what point do you say, well, you're costing us actively. It's not even just like a, you know, uh, an unprovable thing. It's very clear, objective, tangible results that you're holding us back. So at what point do you step in as an organization? They've never done that. Yeah. Yeah, and and now you know. It, it, I think it was brought up on the telecast too. It's never hurt them, really, in in this entire run, and that's why they've gotten away with it. But now it's starting to have a material impact on the team. Well, you say it's never hurt them because they've won four titles, and it's like, how could you write a script that's better than that? Sure, but we know what happened in twenty sixteen. Yeah, we we know what happened last year when he literally socked his teammate and everyone's talked about how that messed up the entire season in their title defense year. And maybe they were never going to win anyway, but sure. Four is as good as anybody could have ever imagined from this team. No question about it. Granted, Kevin Durant, people seem to now conveniently forget that he was part of half of those. And that was basically unfair, but isn't that, isn't that weird? It just doesn't get brought up anymore. It's just like, Hey, this T's core has won four titles together. Yeah, It's like, well, the and best like the team was someone else for two of them. <laughs> but regardless, um, this is why I keep telling you, dude, the 2022 title was the worst thing to happen. To, I know to it validated, it validated everything for them. If and for a Warriors happened. fan, it was the best thing that could have ever happened. Oh, for sure. It was probably the one that, you know, was the sweetest uh, in some ways. And, you know, if that never happened, we could have clowned this franchise like so much. <laughs> yeah. More than any three-time champion has ever been clowned. Um, but nonetheless. So- well, they would have blown it up by now, to be honest, if they had not won that. Yeah, I think that's true. I think so. Well, I think it would have had a lot. Like, they would not have tried so hard to keep all these guys together, all these guys happy. It was literally the lesser of two evils, though, because if Tatum and Brown and everybody had won a title i don't know given 
my my uh, relationship with several Boston media personalities uh, on a weekly basis. I don't know that I could have taken that either. Yeah, I mean, Simmons already, he talks about the 08 Celtics enough. Can you imagine? 22 means you reset that for another 15 years. <laughs> he talks about the 08 Celtics like they were the like 80s Celtics. <laughs> I mean, Boston has won one title in since 86, is it? Right? Because they won three up till then, then they won yeah, one in 08. That's right. Yeah. That's coming in on 40 years. We're about to hit 40 years since 86. The other thing I think is very, very funny is Simmons constantly brings up the Minneapolis titles as why they shouldn't count for the Lakers. And I don't really have a view on that. I see what he means in some ways because, like, the Sonics, the, the Thunder, or, like, you know, if – like with the Buffalo Braves, if they won with the Clippers, count. I'm not sure, but whatever. Point being, yeah, half the Celtics titles are in the freaking 60s when they didn't even have full black like league with black players in it. Like, what are <laughs> yeah. we talking about? There's eight. There's like ten league. teams. Yeah. yeah, it never gets mentioned ever. He's just like, well, Bob Cousy was one of the best point guards <laughs> of all time. It's like, dude, the guy was the truest milkman plumber situation yeah. <laughs> you could ever imagine. Like, what are we doing here? Anyway, so. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, the, look, Warriors have some questions. I don't know what their trade options are if they go that route beyond putting a Kuminga or Poole and uh, a Moody into deals. And they have the Chris Paul expiring. That That has sort of worked. I mean, he's been okay. He can't shoot at all, and he can't get to the rim at all, but he's been okay at facilitating. It's like, yeah, is that enough to pay $30 million for? That's the question. No, I think this team's going to go down with the ship. I'm not sure they're going to make any significant moves. Um, and I'm Would completely content with that. Clay? Do you think they resign Clay this summer? I feel like they do. But I, I think Clay will take a team-friendly deal. I actually don't think... I, I, I think they do, but it'll be... It won't be anything too damaging. And I'm just because he knows too, man. I think at this point it's like, he also knows. So Draymond signed a four for a hundred million dollar deal this summer, which was pretty team friendly. I think, I mean, maybe like who knows what the market for him was, but 25 million in this cap market environment is reasonable, right? I could see them offering something similar to clay. Yeah, 25, maybe even 30. and That's a lot still, though. 30 is a lot, but but with the cap, I mean, I, I don't know, man. It's not uh, some of these I contracts. I also think that there's a world in which they say four is enough. Like, we're not going to get more. We'd rather have these three riding off in the sunset, build the statues outside of Chase Center, and uh, have the most emotional, heartwarming jersey retirement ceremonies ever seen, right? Like, that's could be a route too that we go. Yeah, that, that's that's what I think. I don't think they're going to go chasing just a, a fifth potential to fifth by trading some of these guys because I don't think any trade is going to net them a piece that's going to put them over the top. So yeah, I mean the problem is Steph is still good enough to win a title. That's the he's thing. good this enough. But what what who are you trading for? This isn't right? like Kobe at the end of the Lakers tenure where he as the star was not good enough, right? Where then it's like, okay, fuck it. We're just right off because we can't really do anything with this team. And we definitely don't want to get rid of Kobe. This is the supporting guys who are not good enough. But yeah, I mean, maybe there's nobody go, go, to go get. It's not like it's not like the Toronto but, Raptors are going to say, yeah, please take Ananobi for see, Moody and Kuminga and 
Chris the, Paul. the thing is, I'd have, I think you'd have to put send some significant pieces out. Um, and I also think Steph's not the guy. Like they brought Durant, and Durant was the per like Durant came in with no players going out, and he is the perfect player to to just pop into any system and play. The thing with the Warriors is I don't think you can just bring any star and expect it to work with Steph just right off the bat. You don't have the luxury of time. You know, like they're so used to playing a certain way. They're so used to this core that I I don't think that there's a quick fix. Like they go get another star to pair with Steph and maybe that can give them another title. So you're better off just riding off into the sunset and at least keeping the guys happy. You have good memories and Warriors fans, you know, honestly, I don't think they care that much. Yeah, they're yeah. frustrated by Draymond. They don't like what Clay's doing, but none of them want to see those guys like out the door ASAP. Yeah, I mean, they to them it's this is gravy, and they're, they're, those guys are heroes, right? Like they are the ones who are responsible for the winning. So it's almost like if you talk to a Spurs fan, I'm sure they're not clamoring to be like, "We need to fire Pop," even yeah. if the Spurs are three and fifteen and look like an abject disaster. I mean, I'm in that situation right now. With Mike Evans, like. Should we pay him? Probably not a smart thing, but, but he's still playing well at least. He's still playing well, but he's on the decline, right? So it's like the smart thing would be to not invest more money into an aging player. But if they brought you good memories, good times, the fans love you, it's worth it. Yeah. All right. Well, a lot of basketball left to be played. Um, next week we will talk. Hopefully, if we do this kind of Thursday schedule, it'll be right after. Um, Actually, the quarters are Tuesday and Wednesday, and then the semifinals are Thursday? Wait, Monday and Tuesday, right? Oh, Monday and Tuesday, and then the semifinals are Thursday, Saturday? Or Thursday yep. is the... Okay. So let's record next Wednesday with quarterfinal breakdown and then see what happens in the semis in Vegas. And I can't wait. This is the only thing that matters right now. I can't believe how all in I am. I don't even think about non-in-season tournament games. <laughs> I know. I'm so, I'm so excited, especially because the Kings are in it, but um, it'll be good. One it'll be a fun I, week. One issue I do have is everyone abbreviating to IST because in my mind, that means Indian standard time. time. I know, dude, it's throwing me off. Like I, every time I see it, I think Indian standard time. And people are like, we love the IST. I was like, no, we hate that. That is lack <laughs> of punctuality is abysmal and really frustrates me. It's a problem with the Indian community. Exactly, and that's not how they're referring to it, but that's how I'm reading it. Yeah, um, they got to come up with a name. They'll come up with a name. It'll be the they're just the waiting Kia, for the sponsor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sprite. Which will be something. some. I hope they whatever they can put the sponsor in, but I hope they call it something cool. Like, you know, they won't. It's going to be sponsor driven. It's going to be the Pepsi in season tournament. It's going to be the Pepsi in season tournament. Yeah, probably Pissed. something like that. By the way, really, really quickly before we go, this Mark Cuban thing. Um, so he sells the team for a three and a half billion dollar valuation, which is less than Phoenix got. Doesn't make sense. Dallas is a much bigger, much faster growing market pedigree of winning a recent championship, having Luka Doncic, all the whole thing. Like something doesn't add up there. That's point one. Point two, he sold a minority, a majority share, but he retains control right which maybe he sold let's call it let's say he sold 60 percent or whatever 55 percent kept the rest the idea of him keeping governance structure where he still retains full control is kind of odd because you would imagine if a team bought in or you know these guys bought into a majority share they would want some 
you know, saying what happens, but that's point two. And then point three is, um, why was there no like reporting and or uh, like process and validation if we're getting a new majority owner into the NBA? Like, doesn't this stuff take like a long time to to vet? And it just happened on a whim because Mark and Mark Stein just randomly reported. So I find this whole story weird. So um, a couple of things. I I normally we hear a lot about it because a new owner. Usually there's a whole big hullabaloo made about the sale. Sometimes it's because the owner is getting forced out, as we've seen a couple of times now. Um, I I mean, I, I'm not too surprised that it happened kind of under the radar. I, I think that's possible. I think I agree it is surprising that he's con- he's still holding control over basketball operations despite giving up majority stake. And I'm wondering, like, if I'm getting the majority stake in the team, I want basketball ops. Like, what? At that point, like why I'd just be you could be a minority owner, right? So I don't know if there's a deal where it's like in a couple of years he'll step down. You know, maybe that's why it's also yeah, the three point five billions lower because he's keeping the share of basketball. So I it is weird, right? And then there's a lot of talk about it's because Cubans lining up some investments in casinos and this and that. Yeah, and, he's trying to bring gambling to Texas and this whole yeah. deal and like it this is, is interesting. The most famous but, owner we have in the NBA, so he's just out, and there's just that just happened overnight. But randomly. he's not out, right? He's still he control like he's still very much in charge now, of the map. To your point, like in a couple of years, maybe that's not the case, and this is yeah. But I, I, I think it didn't make that many waves because he's still in control of the maps. Like he still makes the final call on all these decisions. So fundamentally, from the fan perspective, from like the Mavs perspective, nothing changes that much yet. Yeah. Well, this is a casino family, correct? Yeah. And this woman, Miriam Adelson, has a net worth of $32.8 billion. So I believe she mm-hmm. would be the second richest owner right after Balmer, I would assume. No. That is crazy. I did not know she was that rich, nor did I even <laughs> know who this person was. Me neither. Yeah, it's like these people come out of nowhere and you're like, wow. Um. Pretty big. Uh, anyway, we'll, we'll we'll talk offline about political leanings and other donations, but but interesting <laughs> uh, background. So yeah, it's just kind of this happened on a whim, and now we have this new owner in the league. So it is weird, though. Yeah, it did come out of nowhere. I agree. Usually, these things you you start hearing about it, the sales being planned, you hear who's kind of trying to buy the team. None of that was ever reported. It just. Yeah, and I'm curious what majority means. It could mean 50, it could be 99. Who knows? Okay. Yeah, it's I mean, it's probably uh, yeah, I actually have no idea. Who knows? Right. Um or and you know what, maybe and the other thing no one's talked about, and maybe people have talked about, I haven't heard, what if there have been so many scandals around the Mavs? What if it's because of that? What if it's not because what if Cuban wants to get out because there's some shit and he's like I just need a clean my hands of this of this before it's it gets worse possible but they already got the penalty levied around that right so unless there's new allegations i don't know I'm, 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 my point is the culture is so toxic maybe there's things that just haven't come out yet but that's conspiracy theory i, I don't know if that's necessarily it interesting for a team that employs one kyrie irving um <laughs> if you know the background here with uh with who this family is so yep 
I gotta right. look into him. I've not read much into him, but I'm doing um, it now, and I'm just kind of taking it back, and I'm not sure. You know, what, I don't know if I expected them to call me or something, but just something about <laughs> it felt off. Like it just felt really rushed and kind of out of control. But all right, that is a wrap for us. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Thick and Thin Hoops on all major podcast platforms. Please follow us on social media. We will talk to you next next week and enjoy the IST quarterfinals. <laughs> <laughs>